Welcome to The Ledge. My name is Chris Harper, and I'll be your host every week. Every Tuesday, I will interview an artist, developer, or creative mind from the Web3 space. I'll be getting up close and personal with my guests as we explore the emerging crypto art and NFT scene. It is my feeling, along with many others, that we are in a digital renaissance. The emergence of blockchain technology has revolutionized the way we look at ownership, provenance, and digital assets. It is my goal as your host to help shed light on these complex subjects and even more so the individuals behind it all who are carving out their place in history here on the ledge of Web3. Welcome to another episode of The Ledge. I'm Chris Harper, and uh, it's Tuesday again, and I'm here interviewing Chikai. Chikai is the founder of Monolith Gallery, uh, which is a NFT gallery in the Web3 space. Chikai, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here uh, and uh, excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you as well. Will you just say your name, your age, where you're from, where you live? Just tell us a little bit like about yourself in that way. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Chikai Hosama. I'm in uh, San Francisco. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I've been in Web3 maybe almost two years come February or so. Uh, it's It was it was been a crazy journey. I did not anticipate. I had never done crypto or anything before this. And then I fell in backwards, not even intentionally. And that became uh, very, very uh, <laughs> sort of life consuming in terms of just how much I got into it. So that's, that's kind of my, my own, my own feeling, you know, when I got into NFTs, I just kind of totally consumed me. Two years makes yeah. you an OG in the NFT world. I thought it was late, though. I really swear when I came in, I was like, oh, I'll check it out. I'm probably too late coming in. Uh, and, uh, of course, even now, it's still early, as people say. But, like, I really did feel like I was late coming in. Uh, I feel like <laughs> all the big stuff was happening, and I'd check it out. But it's definitely grown an incredible amount even since then. I mean, ups and downs both. But, like, generally, I think it's grown a ton. Absolutely. And you said you live in San Francisco. Where are you from? Where, where, where are you from? Are you from California? Uh, no, I actually grew up in Florida. Uh, I grew up in Florida um, for most of my childhood uh, and then uh, went to school to Vanderbilt and Duke, but in a completely different field. My undergraduate, my PhD were in biomedical engineering. So I was doing oh, wow. like, uh, like heart imaging, ultrasound heart imaging during uh my PhD, and I thought I was going to go be a professor at a university, uh, but life took a very different turn, <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up going to Silicon Valley and starting a small company called Keyhole, um, uh -huh. and Keyhole eventually got bought by Google, and it became Google Earth and Google Maps. So, yeah, we're going to talk more about that. I, I uh, I'm definitely interested to hear your uh, your journey into like how you created. You were one of the creators of Google Earth. Yeah, uh, way back in the day, uh, that that was part of my uh, my journey. Uh, that was yeah. again unexpected. All these things are not what you anticipate, but that's what life <laughs> sort of is about. All these opportunities, you sort of when someone something someone come by, you just sort of jump yeah. on it and sort right of ride on. that wave. Let's go back in time a little bit. You grew up in Florida. Where in Florida? Uh, Tallahassee. Uh, yeah. So the capital right. of, of Florida. Oh, right on. My daughter lives in Tallahassee. She's a student there at the Florida State. Really? 
Yeah. How long? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> most people don't know Tallahassee. They know like Miami or Orlando or whatever, yeah. but. Most yeah. people don't know Tallahassee, but that's funny. Your daughter's she's there. actually here. She's actually here visiting me right now for Christmas. But she's, uh, yeah, she's been at Florida State for three years. She's a uh, uh, medical on the medical track to become a doctor. And, uh, nice, and, uh, yeah. nice. They just started that medical school. There, well, for me, it wasn't that long ago. But, but in the scheme of things, it probably was long ago. But they were, um, they had not had a medical school. Most of the, the big medical school down in Florida was at University of Florida. Uh, but then yeah. they actually, I think they tore down my old high school uh, to build that uh, medical school. I don't know what else is in Tallahassee besides the university. What's what? What? What did your parents do? Uh, my dad was um, he actually taught at Florida State, uh, taught interior design, and then he also was a architect uh, that designed a lot of buildings around Tallahassee. Um, so, oh, that's nice. Uh, so he he did both of those things. Yeah, your dad's in the building trades. That's what I do in, as my day job. I'm That's a, right. Uh, he worked with, con- I, I went to a lot yeah. of contracting sites uh, <laughs> with my dad, checking out the site and stuff. Um, and whenever he uh, helped him measure things or whatever, but uh, but he, he's definitely was part of that industry. Yeah. What, uh, what, what, what did you, what did you like to study when you were a kid? Um. You know, I was very much into engineering and stuff for sure. Uh, yeah. I did a lot of science fairs and built a lot of things. I I think I started coding when I was seven. So I was coding very, very early um, and on my old Apple IIe. Uh, and uh, that's very much part of it. was almost like a second language in some regards that I learned very early. Um, yeah. So I definitely was into that a lot. How'd you teach your, how'd you get into coding? Tell me about that. Uh, my, a friend of mine, he had a, I think an Apple two plus and he had learned coding from somewhere. And that's probably one of the first things I ever did. He taught me how to code on it. And we wrote a video game together and we stored it all on a a cassette tape (laughs) and, and then, uh, we lost it all. Uh, we tried to save it and didn't save and then we lost it all. But that's how I started is my friend had one night and, and we, we played games as well on it, but we also coded and I yeah. started to pick that up myself and, and really enjoyed it. That's pretty cool, man. That'd be pretty cool if we could, uh, what was the video game called? Do you remember what you, what you called it? I think it was some kind of adventure game, like Indiana Jones adventure game type of thing. Um, yeah. Almost D and D like, but it's more, or even Zork like somewhat, but it was more, um, like Indiana Jones themed. Uh, it was probably very, very bad, but it was cool to even try it out just to say that you could do that. So I, that's how I sort of started. Do you have any um, like education in art at all? Do you have any art education? I know you're not an artist. Uh, you're uh, No, it. Uh, I've definitely always loved art. Uh, you know, I, I loved especially modern art like uh, Matisse's paper cutouts, Rothko, uh, de Kooning. Uh, I mean, Jasper Johns, there's a lot of great artists that I've loved throughout the years. Um, And, you know, I've always enjoyed it and appreciated it. Um, Mm -hmm. I never studied it uh, specifically, um, but uh, I was definitely very much um, something that I I truly enjoyed. Um, And and this is true, I think, probably generally in the arts. Uh, I did music when I was a kid and stuff. But Uh when I was in college, I studied biomedical engineering. But in my senior year of, uh, of, of my of college, I decided I wanted to write a play. So I submitted, a, I wrote 
and directed a play in my senior year. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And did all these other things and wrote music for a lot of the plays that were happening at the university. So I went up to the professor. I wasn't even a music student. I said, hey, can I write music for a play? And it's like, oh, maybe. So I went back to my dorm room and then wrote something, brought it back. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I ended up writing music for like two or three plays, I think, uh, at, uh, oh, at, at, at uh, my undergrad. Wow, man, that's really uh, that's really impressive. <laughs> what was the play? What was the play you wrote? <laughs> uh, I think it was called "Turning Sunflowers into Roses." I think uh, nice. it was a short uh, 20, 30 minute play. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I have a video to that somewhere. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. You should uh, you should save that, preserve that. That's really awesome, man. Yeah, I gotta find yeah. it. I think I would just die watching it because I would think it's so bad. But like. Uh, uh, it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I think I just I like having that both right brain, left brain sort of stuff going on at the same time. So they're very yeah. creative as well as they're very analytical. And so, um, yeah. you know, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. Before we started this podcast, I asked you if you were an artist and you said no, but I think uh, writing a play qualifies you as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I was thinking like an artist, like, like, like painting or photography or whatever, but you know, and these are things I enjoyed doing, but I never, you know, pursued it in any professional or any serious sense, even though I wanted to, like I had dreams of, you know, being a musician and being a rock star someday and, yeah. doing that and but uh it, my life took a different path but uh i've always had an appreciation and a love for the arts uh, as a whole not just I, like uh, i don't have any arts i don't have any art education myself either and but i i feel like and i don't know if you'll agree with this or not man this crypto art movement seems to be you know making a lot of people pulling a lot of people into the art world that weren't there before yeah i do think there are I mean, the people who collect in the crypto art world and NFTs and stuff are yeah. mostly new collectors. I don't think it's traditional yeah. collectors. Um, yeah. I think part of it is because there was an audience for or a market for, and especially in the earlier NFT days, like for crypto art, sort of this computer generated art and that kind of stuff that's much more... Yeah of the culture of the crypto community, which really resonated with those people. And so I think, you know, I remember people talking about the fact that before NFTs, he could not sell any of his works. Like nobody would buy, it was worth zero money. And then afterwards, it, there was this massive market for it. So I love the fact that um, the people who are forgotten and unseen and not really thought of worth anything, uh, found their home and found their market. And I think that's sort of expanded out to other sort of art forms over time, and especially the past yeah. couple of years. Um, but it's really been amazing to see that grow. But yeah, it definitely has brought in a whole new set of collectors uh, and collectors that I think are very international. Uh, before, I think if you were a collector, you'd have to walk by the gallery or have some connection sure. to uh, auction house and stuff to have, even participate. But right. in this case, anybody can participate, uh, and there's very, very little sort of barriers or gatekeeping in that regard. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Beeple's story is pretty outrageous. I mean, that's a, what a story, you know, to, from not being able to sell anything to becoming the highest paid living artist in the world. <laughs> I know. Wild, man. And it was it was really sudden. I mean, some and that's what, what sort of I mean, very very early on, what caught my eye is like, what is going on here? A lot of it was just yeah. bafflement. 
Like, yeah. I don't understand why Niancat was sold for over a half million dollars. It doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. And right. so I think that, uh, you know, sort of, you know, just trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, and not only that, but lots of people were getting into it that I'm like, why are they look getting into this stuff that seem fairly knowledgeable and they, they seem smart, like smart people. Uh, and yeah. so it made me very curious. Um, but I was still like saying, what the hell's going on? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly, that's, that was exactly my experience. As a matter of fact, I live in Charleston, the same city where people live. So when that really, said, yeah, when that Christie sale happened, it was like all over the local news here. And, uh, you know, and it just was, it was like attention grabbing that some digital artist was selling something for $69 million, you know, which was just crazy. It sounded crazy to me. It sounded outrageous. Which Have you heard of people before? Of NFTs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you know people before that no, uh, event no, happened? Okay. I had never, I had never heard of an NFT before that happened. I didn't know what it was. Wow. That was, wow. yeah, that was my like <laughs> aha moment. I'd been into crypto for a while, but I had never, you know, I had never collected anything on it, any, any NFTs. So as soon as that happened, I started collecting some things on Nifty Gateway. I found my way to Nifty Gateway and then the yep. rest is history. You know, now I'm a D-Gen. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing uh, crypto before that, before NFTs? So I was into crypto since 2018. I was, you know, into Bitcoin and, um, okay. you know, Ethereum. I had, you know, I'd, I'd played around with it for um, four years, something like that. Okay. Four years before I got into You're NFTs. way before I was. I mean, I had never bought crypto until I had to buy my first NFT and then to figure out, okay, how do I buy this? Where do I go? And then I went to like, uh, I guess Coinbase is where I bought it. And then I couldn't get access to it because they had a waiting period. And so I asked right. my friend who was really into crypto for a long time. I said, hey, can I borrow some? Because I need to put a bid in for this thing or I need to get this thing. And like, so <laughs> I ended up sort of getting some temporarily and paying it back. But like, like uh, it was interesting to sort of try to onboard during that time and figure out MetaMask and everything, which was, you know, so different and not knowing what I was doing. So, um, but you know, hopefully... I'm not sure how much MetaMask has improved. I've never done a, a fresh onboarding of MetaMask, but you know, it's it's got to be still daunting today. It, I think it is. I think it is daunting. And I don't want to make this sound like I was some crypto OG. I, I bought some Bitcoin and Ethereum in 2018, and then it it went down. <laughs> and then in 20, <laughs> then in 2020, you know, there was that the big like craze of Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin went up to like almost seventy thousand dollars. You know, right. and I jumped on that, so I was kind of riding that when NFTs came around. But I didn't know anything about like wallets, wallet security, any you know MetaMask. You know, I didn't know how to do anything except, you know, hit the buy button on my Coinbase account. Uh, you know, the learning curve for NFTs is just like very steep outside yeah. of outside of like the easy platform like Nifty Gateway, which is just, you know, enter your credit card and hit buy. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it is a not only difficult from just the mechanics and the technology and everything else, but I think it's also like the value, like why would you pay this much money for a JPEG? And so yeah. understanding what that yeah. meant and, you know, so the ethos and sort of what it meant for artists and the impact of the artist. And then the biggest part was a community. It was just an incredible 
incredible community that that pulled me in and me you know too. kept me there like i think if the community wasn't there i may have come and gone but the yeah. community was the key reason why i stayed and why i'm still here same i've met some i mean i just have so many awesome friends from this community that i've met in the last couple of years i i'm not going anywhere <laughs> you know like I'm yeah yeah it's, it's it's pretty amazing it is and you have a, a very, pretty very heavy special community it is. You have a pretty, I mean, you must have a pretty heavy tech background to come from Silicon Valley and, and start in a lab where you created Google Earth. Tell me how that happened, Ben. I'm interested to hear that story. Yeah, I I had come to Silicon Valley initially to join a company called Silicon Graphics. And Silicon mm-hmm. Graphics is the company that made probably some of the best graphics machines in the world, but they were very expensive, like multi-million dollar machines. That those stuff mm-hmm. that first did Jurassic Park back in the day. Um, And, you know, a lot of us there um, had worked on, you know, these incredible graphic systems, including um, there's a demo that basically, you know, zoom from outer space down to your driveway using this technological clip mapping. Um, Mm. And, you know, that was, you know, the height of that company. (laughs) Since then has basically gone to nothing and and 3D graphics are everywhere. Like on not only just like, computers but laptops and phones and everything sure. um but you know a few of us there uh left to uh to incubate this idea of this sort of you know going from outer space down to your driveway with this other company called intrinsic which was um spun which was uh started to do 3d middleware for um you know for like Sony Playstations and Xboxes and that kind of stuff. And they had a demo that did this right. on, you know, on a PC instead of these multi-million dollar machines and had this new technology to make that possible. And so they spun out the small little demo into a separate company. And so a bunch of us came in to found that company through that. And that was Keyhole. Uh, wow. And so we started that in like 2000. Uh, and then we uh, built that out uh, and, you know, got funding uh, and eventually uh, sold to to Google in 2004. So, you know, like as I mentioned, I, I've been coding since I was a kid, so I'm very much in technology since a very young age. But it, it went from, like, medical imaging and technology that way into mapping uh, through just a time of life. It was an opportunity to work with people I, I respected uh, on a really cool problem, uh, yeah. and uh, sort of get a little bit of a taste of the whole dot-com sort of opportunity that was out there. And it wasn't really a dot-com company because it like it's like an application you have to download, install, right. and you had that 3D graphics hardware, so it was a unique uh, sort, of, uh, sort of software. It wasn't like a, a website. Um, but, you know, I think the core technology definitely caught Google's eye. Uh, and we got acquired in 2004, and at the same time, another company called Where to Tick was acquired. And so they became Google Maps. Keyhole became Google Earth. And of course, those merged and technologies were used across both. And became, if I'm going out on a limb here, like one of the most widely used apps in the world. But like, I mean, pretty much everybody knows what it is. And almost everybody in the world uses it, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, usually crazy. when you have an yeah. acquisition, yeah. like you get, you know, put into another part of the company and you're sort of like, you become part of another product that exists. But there's a yeah. rare opportunity for a company like Google to come in when they had no maps or no uh, product like that and to be able right. to come in and build it from scratch 
and then see it grow to what it was. It was incredible. Like I, it's, it was not only a technology sort of thing, but it became a cultural sort of phenomenon in terms of like, like there was a week of Foxtrot cartoons was purely about Google earth and Google maps and the salad imagery. And then like the Simpsons did a little little spoof on it and like Marge zooming into like Homer singing the hammock in the backyard naked. And so like, like there's all these crazy and like TV shows were using it and it was on CNN and like, it was a pretty just amazing cultural phenomenon that made maps and solid imagery so accessible um, that I would never, I only have dreamed of it. It's one of those situations where you dream, like if everything went perfectly well, this is what would happen. You would have on your phone, have broadband on your phone back in the day where there's no broadband. You have 3D graphics on your phone. It'd be a touch screen. You go through and, and move it and zoom anywhere you want on the earth. And that actually happened. Like if you describe that in 2000, it's like, that's ridiculous. That's like, it's so far out, but it actually happened. And we were part of making that happen, which is amazing. And most products also, like if you do them, they have a certain lifespan, but you know, Google Maps and Google Earth have been around for almost two decades now, or yeah, almost two decades now. And like, I'm sure it'll be here for another couple of decades. So it's one of those long lasting products that, I think I feel very, very lucky to have been part of because it's very rare to have the opportunity to have worked on a product that has that long lasting impact um, and is meaningful. It did change how we all travel uh, and how we sort of explore and, you know, how we go to new places and you can basically hop off a plane and not have to have a map or printed out uh, sort of directions off of MapQuest. You just navigate with your phone and go anywhere you want to. I'm an adventure traveler myself, man. I travel all over the world and I've used Google Earth and Google Maps like a lot. (laughs) So yeah, that's really, it's really cool, man. Speaking of like the, the, you know, Google Earth and, and pop culture, I um I was going to ask you about this. Have you seen like these TikTok videos and these Instagram reels where they have like there's there's this there's all these people now that are like Google Earth detectives. So they'll watch a clip that somebody posts on the internet and then by like, you know, the position of the sun and the street sign on the corner and this tree, you know, native to this part of the world, they can like deduce exactly where this clip was taken. It's like uh wow. It's really cool, man. I, have you heard of that? It's, it's amazing what people do with it. Like, I mean, yes, when we man. first launched like Keyhole, like or Google Earth, yeah. people would go find every single plane that was caught in mid-flight. Or they'd be <laughs> looking for like crop circles uh, and they found them. They're right. crop circles all over the place and find those in satellite imagery to like other people who have like, you know, to even crazier things like people are discovering new species of, of um, this, this fringing coral reef in the, on the, off the, uh, sort of the Northwest sort of side of Australia that they only found because they were browsing through Google earth or the guy who was basically browsing around his house in Italy and then found a undiscovered Roman villa in his backyard uh, or people who found places where man had never been. And they found this forest that man had never been to and discovered like hundreds of new species from that. It's like, it is absolutely mind blowing what people have done with it. It's uh, crazy to think about. Yeah. 
And like even today, like I, talk, I mean, I'm really into the photography sort of community on NFTs and stuff. Yeah. And so many of them use Google Earth to plan their trips, especially the sort of the um, the landscape and sort of like adventure photographers and wildlife photographers. They use that to sort, yeah. of, sort of find new locations and new places to go to get this unique sort of photograph. Um, and it's amazing how much is used there. So it's it just it just amazes me. I mean, part of the technology and what was built was, you know, the core technology like cell imagery and maps and everything else and 3D graphics and flying through. But right as on. much or more of it was what people did with it. It was just amazing what people did with it. It just took it to another level that you could never have imagined that this was what it's going to end up like. Uh, it, it, so that, that's the part that's part the most uh, amazing and sort of mind-blowing is what people did with it. When Google Mars. Google Mars already launched. I launched that. I launched Google Mars, Google Moon, Google Sky. It's already out there. Like I did that back in 05, 06 something because what we did was like we did Google Moon because one of the first 20 employees of Google came up to me, a guy named Larry Swimmer, and put a post-it note on uh, my monitor. And he and I have the exact same birthday. Uh, And he said, hey, can we launch Google Moon next week? And I'm like, uh, maybe we could, because it was going to celebrate the moon landing and so forth uh-huh. of New Armstrong, I can't remember it was. But so, okay, let's try to do it. And so I asked a couple of people who sat next to me, do you think we'd do this? And we did this within a week or two, launched it. And then the headline for like Fortune or Forbes News was, you know, Google <laughs> Profits launches moon. And like, it was insane. And then we got an email from Neil Armstrong saying he saw it and no. that he appreciated it. So... It was, and then there's some scientists who did the Mars rover who came over and said, hey, can we do Google Mars? So then yeah. we did Google Mars. And then people who did the Hubble telescope, deep sky stuff came over and said, hey, can we do Google Sky? So we did Google Sky. And so oh, awesome. it's already out there. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. That's really freaking cool. <laughs> so you did that. And then and then uh, fast forward to, what, 2020? How'd you get from uh, from there to, to, to this space? What, what, what you know, got you, I, let me ask you what got you into this to begin with? So, I mean, I sort of hinted at it before, but I, I was, I, I, once I was at Google, I left to start my own company and the company didn't work out. And I was in the process of shutting it down early 2021. And as a shutting it down, which is never a fun process, pretty depressing to shut down a company right. and sure. very tedious. I said, I need something fun to look at while I do this. So I can sort of like at least have something to think about that's fun and interesting. And so I said, ah, oh, look at this thing called NFTs. It looks interesting. It looks crazy. Uh, I saw the Nyan Cat thing. I saw the Beeple thing. I was like, what is going on? And so I started researching it and said, hey, you know, what does it actually mean? What does it mean to be on the blockchain? What is a non-fungible token? Um, and then eventually I bought one uh, NFT, then I bought another, and then I bought another and kept on going and fell down the rabbit hole. And I think what caught my attention was, you know, the art was amazing. There were some absolutely beautiful pieces. But once I bought it, the artist would find me and reach out to me and say, hey, thank you for buying my piece. And then they would tweet about it. And then their whole community would just rally behind them and just be so supportive of their sale. And it's like, what is going on? And then this would keep on happening. And then with that, it started to develop into more and more uh, sort of real friendships with these artists and other collectors and people in the community 
because you know when you bought art in the gallery before you would see it you buy it maybe you'd see the artist at the gallery you take it home and that was it you would never talk to the artist again uh, but in the case of nfts you have this ongoing conversation and relationship with them that was so amazing because you got to know them as people know them as for their art um and uh and i all i often describe it as like in high school, I was more of the nerd and like the computer geek and stuff. And somehow the cool art kids <laughs> who said, come hang out with us. You could actually hang out with us and come to our parties. And somehow I got in the cool art kids club and they let me in the doors. I, I don't know why they did. And then I was hanging out with them and like I was one of them. And so it was so like, what's going on here? How, how, how did this happen? And they were so warm and, and just just supportive and such a great community. Um, and and I think the other thing I had that I enjoyed was that there was a bridge I could do between the technical side and the artistic side, which I connect with. And I think yeah. because it's so complex, you need uh, sort of both of those uh, to really understand what's going on. So I think a sure. lot of the things I observed, you know, I think I could provide at least some insight and sort of bullet down to little simpler terms. And so I think I got, you know, a lot of to help a lot of people as well as help me learn about it because I had questions that I didn't understand. So I think that it helped sort of, uh, you know, provide a very a mutually beneficial and mutually supportive uh, sort of relationship between me and these group of artists that I think, yeah. It's a uh, it's just so technical. I mean, crypto is so complex. If they actually had to understand how it exactly worked, it yeah. would take a lot of understanding and a lot of sort of research and deep dives and reading. Um, but I think that you know, I think the same goes for art. Like, why do you buy art? What is going on? What they're doing? And the depth and research they do is also pretty pretty amazing too. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. What was the first thing you bought? You remember? What your first NFT? Um, it was I. The first thing I bought was a piece called Rayscape by my friend. Uh, sort of my, I knew him through through someone else, um, and he had gotten NFTs. I think he was in the tech world also. And he did. He was also a painter, yeah. and so yeah. he painted that. Um, and the next one I bought was Mariska Becker's piece, uh, and and it was I think it was OpenSea. I think the first one was on Foundation. Nice. I think the first one was actually on foundation. My very first was on foundation. The right. next was an open sea. And then I can't remember the rest, uh, but yeah. it was yeah. sort of a yeah. fumbled way that I went through. Nobody famous. I didn't buy like a, like any uh, art blocks or any like uh, X copies back in the day. I was not that fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Missed all that stuff, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I feel like everything you're saying, I can totally relate to, man. I had like kind of a very similar experience when I um, bought my first couple of pieces of art. I started to have a like, a, you know, it was weird. I, uh, I'm i in recovery. So I'm, there was a, a, a guy who posted, who uh, posted, they were having a drop on Nifty Gateway. It was like a recovery related drop. And uh uh, the guy's name, this artist name is Snuffy. Snuffy had this, um, this NFT, which I could really relate to, you know, like, and I really liked it. And I, you know, he was like, once I jumped in on that and like ended up meeting Snuffy and becoming friends with him. And then, you know, meeting a whole bunch of other artists and, you know, really just like finding my way into this community. And it just kind of like, it caught, 
it, it, it kind of captured me the same way you described, you know, and just like this community really sucked me in, you know, and that was, that was the thing that has kept me here. Yeah. Also totally. the technical aspect of things, you know, like when, when, when I got into NFTs, all I was doing was talking about it to all my friends and family and nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. So I started writing like little blogs to try to help them understand. What <laughs> I don't think any of my friends and family understand it. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I don't know of any of my friends who went as deep as I did in the NFTs. Like, I mean, they may have heard about it. They had right. questions. Maybe they dabble a little bit, but nobody who just went so deep into it as I did. And so I honestly cannot think of anybody that I, within my just personal friend network that, <laughs> that was part of that. And, it is, and so you have to find your friends online or like at, at like these, like you're married. Yeah. Or whatever. Are, you, are you married? I am married. Yeah. What's she your wife like, think about it? <laughs> this is crazy. What is this? I don't think she, she, uh, I think she appreciates it more now, but initially it was like, what yeah. are you doing? What is this? Like it would just made no sense. Uh, and so, right. You know, but I still loved it. <laughs> so whatever reason, it still sucked me in. And like, uh, and I, I think I went half knowing, but, but I really did get sucked in by the community, the people. Yeah, like really, yeah. that's the part that got me is like, this is, it is so international. It's it's such a, a, a diverse right. set of people with so many different walks of life and background, which, and they were all coming together um, for the same reason, which is to appreciate the art. And so, yeah. um it was kind of amazing. So, so you were, so you're a, an NFT enthusiast. You jump into this thing, both feet first. And now uh, fast forward to now you're, you're the founder of the monolith gallery. Tell me about that and like how that all transpired. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, when I first started getting into NFTs, there was a lot of tools that were missing. Like one of the simple ones that came across is that when I first started buying NFTs, like, I had to find them. I would have all these bookmarks and like hundreds of tabs open trying to like select which I would buy. And it's like, right. there has to be a better way to organize this. So I created this thing long time ago called super nifty fan that helped me organize and collect uh, NFTs and stuff. Um, and then it okay. And you know, it had some sort of traction and stuff, but I had like three, four, five of those that I did early on just because I needed these tools. And I wanted to build something that would help, not only me, but the community at large. And one of the things that I knew I could do that's unique uh, within the space was to build uh, and to right. build technology and websites and yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, and so I, that's where I spend a lot of time to say, how can I add value to improve and push the future forward? And mm -hmm. so this past year uh, in March, I think is when I launched Monolith Gallery. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the next step of those different ideas. And then, the yeah. unique thing about Monolith Gallery was that, you know, initially I built it based on almost no knowledge of the community was going on. And I learned more and more over time. I think right. all that experience of what was going on and really understanding what uh, needed to be addressed or what needed to be pushed forward, sort of, uh, I learned over that past year. And then with Monolith, a lot of those learnings uh, were applied uh, into building that product. Uh, and then that just took off. I mean, you never know which one will take off, but that one actually gained a lot of traction uh, yeah. and really did, you know, push forward curation within the, you know, NFT 101 space and grow that in a way that I think uh, was the community responded really well to. 
and it yeah. sort of evolved and more initiatives sort of got put into that uh, product uh, and it's grown uh, a lot since then. I'm doing more, uh, I did a few live events this past year, you know, yeah. you, stuff you had an Basel. installation at Art Basel, right? You, at the... Yeah, I, uh, I helped co-sponsor this um, large giant monolith right. <laughs> display at Scope Art Fair yeah. uh, and had art up there. It was so cool. It was so awesome to do that. Yeah, no, I like saw that. that. I was there. That was really cool, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and with that, like at the same time, I helped, uh, launch some absolutely legendary photographers like Jimmy Chin and Nepal Nicklin and Christine. Martin. There's an absolute legendary that you photographers. And yeah. so, you know, and also that week, was an incredible week in terms of sales of art pieces within the monolith family of artists. And so it's all gone very well. Uh, and so it's, and it's kind of interesting to see, like when I started it, it was probably near the, the, the beginnings of the downturn, but like it was more in a bull market. Uh, yeah. And then even though the market just tanked this past year, right. monolith has done really well. Like it's actually grown partially probably because of, the noise going away and all the the bad stuff just being flushed out, uh, and so people are focused on who are building and who are truly adding value in a long term sustainable way. Uh, yeah. And I kept going, and then it, I wasn't affected, luckily, by any of the, the the major sort of hacks or downturns or collapses. And so I just kept on doing what I did, and I think that uh, that worked out well. How are you connecting with these artists? Are you bringing them on or people contacting you? How does that work? You know, I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of people reaching out to me. I mean, initially yeah. I was reaching out to other artists, but I had built up those, uh, those connections and those relationships over the previous year from either collecting right. or for just interacting. And yeah. so a lot of it just tapping into that network. But once I started going out there, there was more people reaching out to me. Um, and even the thing with, you know, the, with Jimmy Chin and, Christina Nittemeyer and you know, uh, Aaron Huey and sort of Renan Osterk and those guys, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of came serendipitously. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get these guys signed up and I'm get it. Yeah. Uh, it just all came together because they needed someone to help them mint their first NFT. And one of the guys knew me really well. And so he told his friend, you just talked to Chikai. And then right. it all just happened. And, nice. But a lot of that, I think, happened because of all the work I'd done the previous two years, just being part of the community and yeah. helping and sort of building up, uh, uh, you know, sort of respect within that community. For and sure. that's just end up paying off in that moment. Yeah, that's awesome, man. How do you weed through all the stuff that you don't want to look at that's not worth curating and promoting? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know... I I I I, I, don't I like disparage I, anybody's art at all ever, but I no you know, no no. I'm sure, like you get bombarded, you know, if you get bombarded with stuff that's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the the two two things I want to try to do at once, which are very uh, diametrically opposed, is to be both inclusive and mm -hmm. both exclusive, uh, right. which is really tricky because you want to be open sure. and not be a gatekeeper and restrict it and open it yeah. up to lots of people. Yet yeah. you do want to have a very focused sort of uh, clear vision of what you want your creation to be, curation to be. And right. so the way I've done that is that monolith exhibitions is sort of my sort of way to, to say, just, just tell a good story. And usually I'll, I'll let them in. So it's very, very inclusive. 
Um, yeah. But then my super space is very exclusive. I'm very, very picky who I put into those. I and you. so I try to do both stuff that help um, sort of uh, the overall general artist to give them visibility because there's it's hard to sort of get get your name out there and get visibility on like Twitter and everywhere else. Oh, and so I want to create a way to get that visibility for, you know, uh, for different artists. And I want to be open to what may be good or not. Cause I think that that's more for the audience and sort of the people to decide, but give them an opportunity yeah. at least. Um, and then the super spaces where I focus on like, who do I want to go let in that I really think are great artists, either to lift them up or mm -hmm. they're just people I respect that, have been willing to work with me and yeah. to make that see as a business because part of the sustainability month gallery is if it's a sustainable business if it can actually be a great sure. business as well as pursue and keep hold true to all the values i have then that'd yeah. be great that's my hope and so without that then i can't continue for for uh an indefinite period of time but if i can make it sustainable It'll continue as long as people want it to exist and so that's part of the the thought process behind some of these other projects i'm doing is to create sustainability not only for monolith gallery but for artists too i mean right. i think that you know it's very uh sort of lumpy in terms of how sort of the sales come and buy and mm -hmm. so i'm trying to sort of help normalize the idea of additions that they are great pieces they have value um, and they're lower price so more people and actually can have access to them and widens their audience and collector base. Because initially people were like, oh, additions, they're not as good, the scarcity issue and so forth. But I think right. that is slowly changing. And so I'm trying to help push that by supporting artists and doing my own additions. That I think um, through Monolith Gallery that hopefully uh, people will sort of open that up and that become a path for sustainability for artists as maybe even for, you know, like uh, galleries and curators and that kind of stuff too, but exploring new types of um, just business models. Uh, Cause I think that, you know, it doesn't have to all be commission uh, sort of models or selling right. PFPs or whatever it's going to be. There, sure. There's a lot to, other, to explore in that regard. Uh, you seemed like, and you mentioned this earlier that you work. You, and you, from what I see, you work with a lot of photographers. Is there any reason why you have a leaning towards the photographers? You know, you know, people noticed that it wasn't intentional. When I first came into NFTs, I I did not want to buy photography. I, I was too afraid of it uh, because I didn't feel like I had the eye for it. I didn't have the confidence to buy photography. There are other some big collectors who were just. I could not compete in terms of bidding and stuff. So I stayed away from it for a while, but lots of photographers kept on DMing. So you should you know, get into it. You should collect it and try to convince me to do it. And finally, like in August of 2021, uh, right after um, Alejandro Cartagena dropped Carpoolers, the 50 sort of uh, collection set, it sort of uh, the idea of a photography collection sort of took off. And all these people like Drift and like uh, did his like when I Van Gogh and then Chris Hyatha did like um, uh, Row Homes and like Brendan North did like Painted Poetry and all of these sort of OG sort of photography clients came out. And that was the point. It's like, oh, that's 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 my thing. And so that was my sort of like deep dive and sort of where I aped into sort of photography. And that just has grown and sort of. And, and that has sort of been my community that sort of, you know, that has embraced me as well as them. Uh, 
but I still love all the other types of stuff. I've collected, you know, physical paintings, collected uh, sort of abstract 3D, but it really has been a blend of opportunity and sort of seeing it sort of just explode and watching it in real time, like just gain traction. Uh, but then through that, having been there through that, those transitions, a lot of them became close friends. And so it's just how my community organically evolved. And so I try to wow. lean in when things are going well and sort of just really, just, uh, to, to just really immerse myself into it, especially when you see an opportunity like that come by, it's like, it's not, not often. I'm sure it's a similar thing as people saw like art blocks and generative art. If you were there from the beginning, I mean, you couldn't help but just lean into it. And so I think a lot of people got into generative art that way. Yeah, I, I totally, totally feel that. Actually, it's funny you mentioned Alejandro Cartagena. I, uh, that carpoolers collection that he did was like one of the first things that I saw in like the NFT world that was just like, it totally blew my mind, man. Like, yeah. and actually it's funny, I've tried to reach out to him a bunch of times. I want to interview him so bad, but it's really like, you know, it's hard to get in touch with people and get people to, to, to write back sometimes, you know, it's DMs know are the worst form. It's so of, hard. It's like, it's like the old, old email client that has none yeah. of the features you want, no spam detection, like no, no oh, folders to organize anything. <laughs> and, but that's just the way people communicate because Twitter is such a huge hub of, oh, you know, know, what, how people sort of uh, connect uh, in a public forum. But yeah, do, yeah the DM thing to me is like torture to me, man, to just because I feel like I'm past <laughs> people, you know, because I'll DM people and DM them and DM them and, you know, they never see it or they, you know, don't respond. And it's like, you know, should I send another one? <laughs> should I send? I like to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's I'm tricky. Just, I'm just even if trying to help to remote respond. artists, you know, that's it, man. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome, man. There's so many amazing photographers in in this space. You know, it's uh, I like photography personally. I'm I'm really into it. I'm not a great photographer, but I carry a camera around with me a lot, and I take a lot of photos and mess around with it myself. You know, and I'm not nice. an artist at all, but. Uh, you know, I've always kind of been, I've always kind of leaned into the photographers as well. Like most of my guests on the show have been photographers probably if you added up that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like them. I like them. They're a quirky bunch, but uh, they're great. I do love it. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's, it, it wasn't intentional. And it's kind of funny how, and when I tell that story, like I really had a distinct desire not to collect photography because of my own insecurities of if I actually could collect it, how do I know what's good or not? And, you know, a lot of questions I had, but the, but I was always encouraged. But then that moment came, I was like, Whoa, this is, this is my thing. Do you work for uh, Niantic labs? I do. I am the director of web three at Niantic labs. Also Um, the people who started that company actually also started Keyhole and Google Earth. So yeah. we were all co-founders together of that company. So we we go back a long, long ways. And Niantic Labs is Pokemon, right? They make Pokemon Go. Yep, they yeah. create Pokemon Go. So I was going to ask you, um, I wanted to see like if you would talk a little bit about what's your thoughts on like the augmented reality <laughs> were and like where we're going in that space. That's just something that's very interesting to me. And I've had several conversations with people about it on this show. So would would very yeah. much appreciate your thoughts on that. 
Yeah. No, I think that, um, you know, I thought about this and this is sort of the thought process as I joined there along with the fact that I knew these people for such a long time, which is, yeah. you know, we started this whole NFT thing during the pandemic uh, and we all yeah. met each other online in the digital world and we were there because we couldn't go out and it was such an incredible way to connect. Uh, right. But now as we're coming out of the pandemic, uh, you know, we're starting to reach out uh, and sort of get back to you know the real world and interact mm -hmm. and travel and so forth. And just like, you know, work hasn't gone back to full in-person, in-office. It's this hybrid. A lot of companies are hybrid now. Um, mm -hmm. I think th the life, the personal life side of stuff is also going to be hybrid. You'll have friends who are that you want to keep in the online sort of internet web three space, but also yeah. you want to meet them in real life. And so right. I think as we go out and merge this digital world and digital community we have with the real world, and you know there be crossovers between there's this opportunity to be a bridge between those two worlds to bridge yeah. the real world and bridge the digital world and yeah. of all the technology out there the most uh, you know just easily that fits in is augmented reality so you're you're right. layering layering the digital reality on top of the you know the physical reality and so i think there's a huge opportunity there to to push forward this is even beyond Web three. Like, just there's the, the bring those two worlds close together in a way that uh, that makes them hopefully live together versus only being in the virtual world, like you would like virtual reality in the metaverse, um, or only in the real world when you go back. But it, it combines the two, mm -hmm. and so I think that there's a huge opportunity to sort of uh, to realize that op that potential of what ha was happening and the fact that. We all got sort of, you know, you know, trained on Zoom <laughs> before right. the pandemic. Nobody did Zoom, but now like Zoom is such a commonplace. Everybody uses it and online sort of either appointments or sort of meetings or whatever is just commonplace. It's not abnormal. Uh, and so I think, you know, that that uh, that provided a sort of opportunity for you know, these I think AR to do very, very well. I think the technology yeah. needs to be sort of pushed forward, but sure. I also think there is uh, a core use case that needs to be discovered too. Like what is the right way to blend those two together in a safe way that doesn't get people like walking the streets by accident, but also right. makes right. it truly useful and in the end fun. I mean, you have to have fun with it. Yeah. I mean, when I think about augmented reality, man, Pokemon Go is like the, the thing that, like stands out in my mind is like one of the first augmented reality things I ever saw in my life, you know, just yeah. walking around downtown Charleston with my kid looking for Pokemon's popping out from behind the tree on the phone, you know? They, yeah. Uh, it is, it is the one of the first ones that really yeah. became a global phenomenon. Right. Uh, and people would just rush to these places. It's just, yeah, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy how right. much it took off. I was talking to uh, Dave Krugman, who I'm sure you know who he is. He's a photographer yeah. in NFT space. And he he was kind of um, saying that he thought augmented reality was going to be where we would be wearing like some kind of glasses or contacts in the future. Do you see like that kind of technology in augmented reality? We're going to, it's going to be like through glasses or contacts or any kind of, do you have any thoughts on like the tech aspect of that? I think people are exploring all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, 
the, mo- the easiest first place will be your phone, uh, which is already happening right now. Yeah. Uh, the next possible one is glasses and stuff, which I'm sure right. everybody's working on. Right. Um, I actually tested out a contact version. There was a company that's building a contact and I tried it out. I didn't actually put it in my eyeball, but I put it near it and it uh-huh. worked. I mean, I mean, it's very, very rudimentary, but it, it was like, okay, it's not, it's not impossible. Right. Uh, so I, I, I think that the part that I find interesting, which is more conceptual than the physical manifestation of a device, though I think the physical yeah. manifestation will be one that propels it forward, which is that augmenting your reality doesn't have to be visual. It could be audio or information or whatever. It basically creates this additional layer of reality on top of what you already do that hopefully improves it in a way that provides you more information or more fun or more understanding what's going on awareness. And so that can be done in multiple different ways. And so some way that's already happening. um, But I think what people think about when they think about the sci-fi movies and stuff is the glasses and you see the world enhanced with all the stuff. Uh, And so I think hopefully we'll see that happen, but that may be when they realize it. But in some ways, it's already happening already, um, and you know the phone's the easiest place to start. But again, I don't think people really often sort of uh, connect that. Like way back, like five, maybe more than five years ago, they they had the apps where you take your. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. Where you take it and you point to the sky, and it shows you all the constellations, and they yeah. sort of map it out for you through your phone. And that's pretty much augmented reality. It's giving you information yeah, overlaid upon what you're seeing. Right. to help you know what the constellations are, which I think is great. Uh, right. And so I think it's it's not like a knife edge point where it's, oh my God, it's here and there. It's going to be this, it's going it's, it's a little more uh, a, a gradual sort of evolution of it. And I think right. uh, we'll understand the use cases. And there's some like Pokemon Go, which are very apparent, uh, yeah. but I think other things are going on that, that will help that uh, and evolve that. I'm guessing Pokemon's coming to the NFT space. <laughs> I can't say anything about that, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's definitely a lot of exploration yeah. going on with yeah. NFTs. I think part of it is just how to truly integrate it in a way that uh, that truly it, it's like you're not trying to make Web three. Uh, if Web3, we're not trying to make Niantic fit into Web3 and sort of be yeah. Web3. It right. is like, how can Web3 be in service of Niantic and what they're building, the mission of getting uh-huh. people out in the world? And uh-huh. I think people often reverse the two. They just go focus yeah. on technology and just, it is what it is. But yeah. and even art, like Web3 is here in service of art. Art yeah. is not here in service of Web3. It's, it is there. This technology is here in service of the things you want to do as people. Uh, right. And so they're definitely we're definitely focusing on that and exploring all the different technologies in that regard that uh, help us in that way to, to really yeah. understand how it can help the company achieve its its goals uh, and and sort of push that forward in a meaningful way. Uh, and I think Web three has a, has a strong potential to to be a a great uh, technology to sort of to push that change forward. Uh, and it's, it's a lot needs to be built and discovered about it, but yeah. you know, like we all know at Web3, the only way to learn about it is get your hands dirty. So you got to build stuff, try stuff, fail, right. and then eventually you'll succeed. Sure. That's great advice. Who are you watching in the NFT space right now? Who's inspiring you and who are you 
following along? That's a good question. Uh, I, I've been so heads down building stuff that I'm not sure like I've had a chance to like, yeah. like some people have written their like 2022, like, you know, sort of retrospectives. So I haven't even had a chance to do that. But like, right. um, what am I looking at? Like, uh, you know, here's one area, which is a very hot topic, but I like it because of the third stage it's in, which is the evolution of AI art. So initially it came out with GAN, just pure GAN, which is the generative, uh, or the, it's, there's an acronym for it, and just purely technology. And then there was a whole series of collections that were just AI. They used AI to do that. One was called like, um, uh, like World, uh, World of Color or, like, or, or Singularity, something like that. And they built that and that came out. And now there's AI Collaborative, which mm -hmm. Claire Silver is pushing forward and a, a huge leader in that space. But lots of oh, artists yeah. are exploring it to do all kinds of things because yeah. the other two, you could tell it was of the AI style. But right. what they're doing with AI Collaborative is they are actually using AI as a tool to create their own style. It's much, it's, it's, it's not something where you go, oh, they just use Dolly or they use Midjourney because they each have their flavors, but they're truly Im imbuing their style and their artistic vision in it. And so that's fascinating to see grow and push those tools forward uh, because the, it, it's, it's such a new space and it's such a controversial one. It's like, are they really doing the work? What's going on? Like, how is this really art? And it, Often, like actually, Alejandro Cartagena was always commenting, like it's not too dissimilar to, to the to the camera. When the camera first came out, it's like, oh, they're not real; they're a real artists because we paint our our people, our portraits. This is just right. you click a button and then you get the portrait. So, um, and so that part is interesting in that regard. But the part that I found to be the most engaging is that when I saw artists use it, they were having fun. Yeah. They were having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and that's the part that caught my eyes. Like, oh, they're right. playing. And not only are they playing just to take it out, but they're actually having fun. And so that's just the first phase. And the next phase after the fun is had will be really fascinating to see uh, yeah. in terms of where it goes. I've had a ton of fun myself personally playing around with AI art and Mid Journey and Dolly. I've played a lot with both of those platforms and spent a lot of time <laughs> messing around with it. And it's a lot, it is very fun, man. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, now we have chat GPT and stuff, but like <laughs> it's just, you have to, it is just some ways fascinating, surprising, amazing, yet scary. Yet it means sure existential for some, like it is really amazing. Chat GPT is kind of blowing my mind. My 16 year old son just showed me that he had a, like a lab project where they had to watch a video and then fill out uh, the questions. And so he was able to uh, get a transcription of the video and copy and paste it into chat GPT and then copy and paste the questions into chat GPT. And then the thing spit out all the answers. <laughs> yes. The, yes i mean i believe that but the, the, i watched this happen and I, whether or not the answers are right i don't know i, I did go back and double check every, you know for accuracy on everything but it looked pretty correct and it's, wow. it's wicked scary to think that computers are at that point you know i mean right. the thing i think about that is kids are playing around with this yeah but the teachers will have to be educated to understand wow what's happening because if they don't know 
then it's going to be hard for them to really do their job as teachers because they could just spit out this stuff, which before you would copy them from online. You're fine. Give me an essay about blah and you just copy paste, but then you could easily see it was copied. But now it's like, it's all effectively written custom for whatever they wrote. So it's like, Oh man, it's kind of, it's going to be crazy. The future of AI is just like the possibilities are endless. You know, I I talked about this with another guest, but I was thinking about like the future, like far, far future. And like, I mean, even like movies could be made in AI. Everything, you know, could be. Complex. Yeah, the script yeah. or I mean, it's, I mean, you right. can think of like like a like a Hallmark series or some like after school special. You can just type it in and just write it out because you don't need like you know Oscar winning film stuff, which is still be right. done by part of the artist. But yeah. some of the stuff that you do that's really simple, like <laughs> I'm real. I don't know what's going to happen with that. That's got to yeah. be something that. I don't know. I, I find it fascinating and I hope we all do the right thing as humans as we go forward, but you know, there's always good and bad actors. So, yeah, well, the future is here when we're, we're writing it right now, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is insane. It is absolutely insane. What do you think 2023 looks like for the NFT space? What are you into? What do you got going on? You know, I think, um, I hope curation continues to build, which I'm definitely pushing forward, and that continues to grow and gain momentum. But also, I hope we figure out a good business model for curation. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I think I hope the builders keep building and the artists keep creating, and the good ones stay. Uh, that's that's the the my hope, I guess, because uh, yeah. during these tougher times, it's easy to say I just can't do anymore and leave. So I hope there's some way to keep the good ones around. And so they survive this market so they can sort of benefit uh, as the bull run returns. So that's the part that I hope for 20. I'm not sure if it's going to happen in 2023, mm-hmm. but I hope people will stick it, stick around and sort of be part of it um, until it comes back. Uh, and it's, it, I don't know when it's going to come back, but that's what I hope to build to help sustain that both from a visibility and sort of, from a curation standpoint, but yeah. also from a business standpoint to make sure that they can get enough income from what they're doing now to, to survive, to last. Because if you last it, then I think there'll be a, an incredible time ahead when it does turn back around yeah. uh, because all that work of sticking around and, and continue to create and learning and building when there's very little noise, like right now there's almost no noise, which is kind of pleasant, (laughs) even though it's not crazy numbers right now. I do like the fact that there's not these, a lot of noise going on um, aside from like FTX blowing up. It's like things are blowing up around me, but I'm (laughs) for luck, very, very feel fortunate that I'm not affected by any of it. But it's not relating to what I'm doing day to day, which is working with artists, working with one-on-one pieces, working to curate, working with galleries and, and that kind of context. Uh, yeah. which, I mean, the PFP world is blowing up and things are going crazy there, but sure. the art world is pretty stable. I think Seems from like what it. I'm seeing. Yeah. Watching all these artists get curated by Christie's and uh, Sotheby's, you know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. They're jumping into it. Like Christie did their Christie's yeah. 3.0 and yeah. uh, launched that during our Basel uh, and jumping into it. I think it's, it's a, 
I mean, for me, Art Basel, a lot of it was just seeing and connecting with people in the traditional art world and seeing yeah. them opening their eyes and very curious about it. Sure. Uh, and I hope we can bridge those two worlds. I mean, some wants to leave that all behind and only think of the future. Yeah. I'm definitely more of the bridging. I want to, there's a lot of good that come out of that. And if we can find the way to work together, which I think would be difficult, but mm -hmm. if you can somehow solve that, I think there's a significantly brighter future ahead working together than trying to battle the old versus the new. It's like, I think if you can bridge the old and new worlds together, I think there's an incredible amount of opportunity ahead for that that will make each side bigger than it was before. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Do you have any um, views on like the royalties debates that are raging on Twitter in the moment? Um, I think... Funny enough, I've been tweeting about this royalty issue for like a year and a half or more. I, I've read <laughs> some of your tweets. That's why I asked. I know you had some. Yeah, <laughs> like I, mean, I know like, you had some points was, of view on it. I, I just would like to hear, <laughs> say a little bit. Yeah, about I mean, I, it's 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 uh, I looked into it a long time ago, and like it is something where it was a broken promise from the very beginning. Yeah. The only reason it was being worked, uh, it was worked and it was seemed like it was working is because the platform supported it and they right. actually uh, abided by it. But now that they're not, mm -hmm. that people are realizing it's not baked into the smart contract. It is right. completely up to the platform. Right. Uh, and there are technical sort of reasons for why that's the case. But, you know, um, I think this is brought to head by the fact that, you know, that there are these large platforms who are coming in with no royalties and subverting that at this point. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, people are trying to patch it and fix it, but that's been going on for a while. But sure. I think the problem has just become a focal point and a big enough issue that I think like OpenSea is losing to these other platforms because of this right. issue. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it just becomes a bigger, bigger problem that they'll have to solve. Um, I think it's more of a problem for PFPs than 101 art. Most of the 101 art is on platforms and traded on platforms that respect royalties. So I think it's in, in the practical nature of things, I think it's less of an issue. Uh, but in, overall, as an industry, it is an issue because if it trends that way and people just start trading on the platforms, it will subvert that. Uh, right. And so, you know, I think it will have a long term impact if we don't do the right thing to make sure that um that we make sure that promise is fulfilled because a lot of artists came in with that promise in their head of, of royalties mm -hmm. on secondary sales uh and if that's gone i think uh you know it's gonna be a problem uh but it, i don't think it's an immediate problem for one-on-one -on -one artists i think it's an immediate problem for pfps and it's a long-term problem for one-on-one -on -one artists that will sure. have to be somehow resolved yeah it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that the community will come together to solve it. Uh, yeah. and I'm definitely will be participating more and more as I see opportunities come up where I can actually make a difference yeah. to push that forward. But I think most people who are in it, the collectors included, uh, do want it to be respected and continued. It, it is yeah. something that they support. For sure. Uh, very few people I know don't support it. Nobody uh, said and that. So, <laughs> Everybody yeah. supports, yeah. So now it's just making that a reality uh, and sort of making sure it's enforced. For sure. Are you collecting anything right now? Or are you currently like buying collecting? 
I am. I, I yeah. actually bought a piece from the Christie's collection uh, that was launched by Ayla El Musso, which is a great piece. I've been looking at her yeah. pieces for a while. Yeah. I just bought a piece by Grace Almera the other day. Uh, both are photography based or like composite photography. Yeah. Um, and have I bought some AI stuff recently? I don't think so. I've been so focused on selling uh, and 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 working with the artists I have with a model yeah, yeah. like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if sure. one pops up, oh, I just bought one today. I bought Omar's uh, Omar Zirobles did a drop today. Uh, Dance oh, nice. Mentos uh, and that just dropped this morning. That's I've been asking him to release that for over a year, and oh, finally okay. he released it, which I was so excited about. Which are basically these Polaroids of uh, photos he took of dancers, and uh-huh. the dancers holding the Polaroid of themselves, and he takes a photo of that. So it's very meta. It sold out like almost immediately. It was pretty. I mean, it was. It's a great collection, very affordable, very accessible, right. and so I expect it to do hopefully well in that secondary. But I just got that today. But also editions are coming out a lot. Like like Summer Wagner just did an edition. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, uh, Samantha Cabot did an edition. Um, lots of cool additions, which I generally tend to get to support the artist, and I like it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's, I think it's, a, I like that. And Manifold's done really well. I think that's I love their hit that. product is additions. Yeah, yeah. That 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 like whole Manifold interface has been really cool. I bought a lot of art using that. Yeah. Right now, I'm totally degening out on this Lazcow artist, this mysterious artist called Lazcow. Do you know who that huh. is? Have I, have, I haven't heard it. I'll have to research a that. A lot of people think it might be Banksy. Uh, and he's re- releasing really? one. Yeah, dude. If you go, you got to check it out on Twitter. It's like, it's nuts. Uh, you have to DM me the, 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 the name. When we, when we get off of it. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on, but a lot of people think it could possibly be Banksy. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical about that, but it's very. Yeah. I remember when Pranksy bought what he thought was a Banksy, but then it ended up not being a Banksy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, nobody little, knows. Maybe a year or so. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, listen, man. I I appreciate uh I appreciate the the hour that you just spent with me. Before we hop off, is there any um, thing that you'd like to say about yourself or the Monolith Gallery or your vision of the future that I didn't ask you about? Um, I don't think so. I, I I definitely appreciate your time, and I loved uh, chatting with you. It's been a yeah. great discussion. Yeah sort of going back to my like pre NFT roots, as well as talking about yeah. the NFT world. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, not much, not, not anything particular to say, except that hopefully 2023 is even a bigger year than this year. Yeah. There's already been a year. I mean, it's barely been a lot of years. So I'm really looking forward to next year. Yeah. And I hope, uh, you know, there are big things ahead also. Yeah. I just feel like this is such a pivotal moment in like art history, you know, like that, that this, this, there's some value in just recording the people who are writing the, the script of what's happening right now, you know? So, yeah. I hope somebody writes a book about this someday. Uh, like there has to be, uh, it's going to be an amazing book to read. There's a book. I got it in the mail today. It's called the, the, uh, the history of crypto art. Um, from I'll, I'll message you all of this when we get off, but uh, okay, I didn't know there was a book, but like, I, there's a book, man, like, and it's, it's awesome. It just I, it just came today in the mail, man. I'm so excited, I just opened it. Um, the NFT nice. magazine, which is the first on chain uh magazine in in like NFT history, um, right. just released their, their book, which is really cool. Um, uh, but I'll send you all that in cool, yeah.
Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to, to to see what they've recorded. So it's just it's just starting. So there's a lot more history to be written like a yeah. decade from now. But like, yeah. I agree that this is definitely a pivotal moment. Yeah, man. Well, uh, it's great connecting with you. Um, thank you so much. And uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you again in the future. All right. Thank you. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me on another episode of The Ledge. This has been a very enlightening interview with my guest today, Chikai. Chikai, thank you so much for your time. If you like this show and you're listening to this show, please rate and review me on the platform that you're listening on. I will drop a link to Chikai's link tree in the show notes below. And if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Harper underscore underscore Chris or at chrisharper.eth on Instagram and I will be here every Tuesday to interview a different artist or creative mind from the web three space. Thank you for joining me on the ledge.